Okay, well, I'm so glad you all are here tonight. It's so nice to see your beautiful faces, and nobody's frozen yet. That's good. Um, can you see the TV from there? Come on over. Come on over. <laughs> For the people who are going to have to listen to this recording, they're going to miss so many pretty pictures, and they'll never know it, so now they do. <laughs> so let's pray one more time, please. Oh, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, uh, without that, we are so lost. We are so wicked. But yet, you have made it known who you are through your creation, through your word, through your people. And we thank and praise you for that. And Father, I thank you for each soul that is here tonight. I pray that you would keep us safe through the winter storm that's coming, keep our family safe. And now as I teach, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my God and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. In 1966... Time Magazine printed this question on its front cover in red block letters against a black background. Is God dead? The article explored the things being taught on college campuses. Man's ancestors crawled out of the salt water, they said. Man's notion of right and wrong were taught, handed down, Morality was a set of fabricated human constructs, they said. Morality was relative. Sexuality was relative. Truth was relative. Nothing was absolute. God, the old white-haired bearded guy in the sky, was a myth. What's more, if man could liberate himself from this archaic myth... He would find true freedom. He would be his own judge. He could be his own master. He could be the center of his own existence. This is from the foreword of Phil Robertson's book, The Theft of America's Soul. As a product of the 60s and a college student at the time, I can attest to the truth of this. But instead of it being the age of enlightenment, it was a very dark time of promiscuity, drugs, and rebellion. There was a rise of atheism, agnosticism, and materialism, which led America deeper into sexual immorality, greed, and the wholesale slaughter of the unborn. And those enlightened hippies of the 60s they're the very ones who are responsible for our woke culture today. But friends, as Ecclesiastes tells us, there is nothing new under the sun. The 60s certainly was not the first time that sinful man spat in the face of his creator. And in Psalm 73, we find Asaph having a crisis of faith as he looked around and saw the prosperity of the wicked. So let's read Psalm 73, 2 through 12. And Asaph says, 
But for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, <laughs> how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. Hard to believe that was written thousands of years ago, isn't it? Um, have you ever looked around and thought the same thing? Life is not fair. Look at how the wicked are prospering. Why does, all, why does evil thrive while I'm trying everything I can to keep my head above water? We are living in a woke culture that scoffs at religion. If God is dead, then there's no one to answer to. And those who believe this lie do whatever tickles their fancy. So we too have a crisis of faith. What we need is a good dose of the truth, and the truth shall set us free. This week we're looking at wisdom psalms. Merriam-Webster defines wisdom as the ability to discern, good sense, accumulated knowledge. But the biblical definition of wisdom is knowledge of God, which leads to living a godly life in conformity with divine character. Proverbs 9.10 tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. But for the wicked, there is no God. If he ever was, he is obviously dead now. They have no need for such a thing. They think they're self-sufficient and fully capable on their own. So let's flesh out this crisis of faith and see what wisdom we might learn. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. But if God is dead, there's no need for the fear of the Lord. Why fear something that doesn't exist? Hmm. And where does that lead? Well, here are a few examples. Climate change becomes the religion of those who have, whoops, did that too quick, who have no fear of the Lord. They truly think their job is to save the planet. But those of us who fear the Lord know that he controls the climate and has told us to be good stewards of his creation. With no fear of the Lord, we find marriage being redefined as being for anyone in love, regardless of gender. 
But those of us who fear the Lord know that the scripture says marriage is between one man and one woman. If someone has no fear of the Lord and no one to ultimately answer to but themselves, then aborting a new life is no big deal. My body, my choice. But those of us who fear the Lord know that God is the author of life and all life is sacred. Those who have no fear of the Lord believe that they are all powerful and can do whatever they want. Those of us who fear the Lord know that only God is all-powerful. And with all that power, those who have no fear of the Lord believe they must be arbiters of right and wrong. So if you disagree with them, they can cancel your speech. Those of us who fear the Lord know that God has told us to always speak the truth in love. And truth, with a capital T, tells us what is right and wrong. Those who have no fear of the Lord have no problem redefining words to suit their narrative. For instance, gay used to mean happy. Uh, gender used to be male and female. Only women could become pregnant. And now we have birthing persons. That's just to name a few of their crazy ideas. Those of us who fear the Lord know to let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So these are just a few examples of man's so-called wisdom gone amok. Again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And without the fear of the Lord, there is no wisdom. But where are we to learn to fear the Lord and find this wisdom? Well, let's look at Psalm 73, 16 and 17. Asaph says, when I thought to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. For Asaph and for us, we find wisdom when we come to the sanctuary of God. The sanctuary could be a temple, a church building, or even our own hearts. It is the place where God dwells with his people. When we're in God's sanctuary, three things usually happen. First, we pray and worship him. By doing this, we get a new appreciation for his holiness and sovereignty. We get a fresh insight of both God and eternity. Secondly, when we're in the sanctuary of God, we hear God's word and are reminded that truth goes beyond what we see and experience every day. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And third, when we enter, when entering the sanctuary of God, Asaph would have had to make a sacrifice for his sin. In Learning to Love the Psalms by W. Robert Godfrey, he writes, Why did the psalmist come to understand the doom that awaited the wicked 
in the temple. What did he see when he entered the courts of the temple? Well, in front of the holy place, he would have seen the altar for burnt offerings. Oh, it must have been a remarkable sight. Pictures that reconstruct the temple almost invariably misrepresent the scene as very clean and tidy. In fact, the altar must have been a rather horrible sight of blood and charred remains. It was surrounded with the odors of blood, burnt flesh, and death. Flies probably swarmed around. What the psalmist saw was what God intended his worshipers to see, that the wages of sin is death in all its sorrow. The altar testified that sin leads to destruction, and the only way to avoid the just consequences of sin is to find a substitute and a sacrifice. The altar testified that the blood of a spotless substitute was necessary for sin to be forgiven. For us, when we're in the sanctuary of God, we're reminded of the great sacrifice Jesus gave for those who trust in him. And we know that the lost, who appear to be thriving in this world, are on a slippery slope to destruction. So you see, as God's people gather for worship, fellowship, hearing and studying God's word, we get understanding and wisdom. We're better able to see the big picture. And just like Asaph in Psalm 73, verses 25 to 28, we say, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my heart, is the strength of my heart, and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Mm, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. But for the skeptics out there, that age-old question arises. Well, what about those who have never heard the gospel? How can they possibly know any better? Well, in your homework, I had you look up Romans 1, 19 and 20. And it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Ladies, we have a God who has written his signature on all created things. Have you ever been to the mountains or to the beach and gotten goosebumps because you knew you were in the presence of the creator of this beautiful universe? You just knew from the depth of your soul that something bigger than man was responsible for the majesty laid out before you. And so we look at Psalm 19, verse 1 through 5. The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and, like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Paul David Tripp writes, Creation was to be one big finger, pointing you to the one who alone has the ability to satisfy your heart. And if that were not enough, he gave us his law. In Psalm 19, 7 through 10, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. And all of this is where we find wisdom, my friends. Proverbs 2, 1 through 6 says, My son, but I'm going to change it to my daughters. Uh, my daughter, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart toward understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and his, out of, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, far from the lies that God is dead, and we can be our own many gods, those of us who fear the Lord know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I Am, the Creator, the Redeemer, our Savior Jesus, is alive and sovereign over all things and shows grace and mercy to his people with a steadfast love that endures forever. Ladies, cherish wisdom and hold fast to it and teach it to your children and your grandchildren. Do not let the world steal this precious gift from you. Jesus gave his very life so that you could know truth. As he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.
Now that is wisdom worth clinging to. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, Father, we are so just grateful that you reveal yourself through your nature, through your word, through your law, and let this, the, the chief of sinners, I am, know you better. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. I pray that uh, as these ladies go and study uh, these psalms today, that you would just keep revealing yourself to them because it's in knowing you that we become wise women of God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you so. In Jesus' name, amen.